Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Join me as I seek out the small incremental changes being applied in other industries that we can learn from and that can be applied in healthcare. Can these changes bring immediate value, but also add up to the big improvements and revolution we need in healthcare? Come along with me to explore the possibilities. My innovative guests from around the globe have used small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. And today, as I am each and every month, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Craig Joseph. He's the Chief Medical Officer at Nordic Consulting Partners. Craig, thanks for joining me on News You Can Use. I look forward to it every month. I doubt that for um, at least a nanosecond, but okay, I'll buy it this time. So happy Thanksgiving to you, of course. Um, and... Uh, I hope the year has been good. It's certainly been an interesting year. Um, and I, I would say I did more travel in the last month than I've done almost in the entire year. Maybe not. There was sort of some ramp up, but a lot of conferences going on. Um, I know you're you're a bit of a slacker. You didn't go to any of these, but you stayed on top of it, right? I did. And, uh, um, you know, I think uh, the... Uh, Predictions of the death of the uh, in-person conference are are um, a bit off, and so people really do want to be with other people in the actual same room and um, having lunch and dinner and other things. So, yeah, I'm glad to hear that you were out and about uh, at the conferences, and I was keeping track on uh, social media and, and other news to make sure what, I knew what was going on. But you were you were there. What, tell us everything. Yeah, so I, I don't know that I can tell you everything. In part, my memory fails uh, at least after uh, a period of time. So let, let me try and cover the the generalities uh, of of the couple of conferences that I went to. And you actually captured one of the key issues, or not issues, one of the key positives for me. And I think that's the fact that it was. It was in person. Um I did wear a mask occasionally, but it wasn't all of the time. So it was more associated with times when I felt like there was a, a need because we're still not sort of entirely out of this pandemic. But without the mask changed the whole experience. And as you rightly pointed out, we're social human beings. And I had a number of instances where I just got to meet people that were really cool very impressive in terms of um you know individuals and uh, the 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 sort of uh, opportunities that you know might arise i i had breakfast with john glazer i mean he's like a a major person in our industry he's sort of set a, a number of things and i sat down and had breakfast um and got to talk to him and pick his brain about some of the history which was great and I ran into some old friends. So that for me was the big, big positive. I think the negative or you know not so good experience, certainly in at least one of the conferences, was the mismatch between numbers of people that they expected coming and what actually showed up. And what showed up was way over the odds. It was far more. And that was part of the mask issue for me. We saw a little bit more. Oh, and by the way, from a security standpoint, walking around Vegas, I always wear a mask because uh, if anything defeats these cameras, I'm hoping that those masks are going to do the job. <laughs> Wait, we're not we're not recording, are we, right now? No? Because, <laughs> you know... Talking about how you're trying to evade security. Right, row. I've, I've let the bag out. Oh no, I've let the cat out of the bag, not the bag out. Yeah. 
So I thought you you went to these conferences to learn about healthcare and IT, and it sounds like you're just going to gamble is what I'm hearing. Oh, definitely not. I would say that I am uh, certainly at the other end of the spectrum from a, a gambling standpoint, both with my, well, actually, uh, maybe that's not true. I have jumped out of a planes, which, you know, is probably a little bit of a gamble. <laughs> uh, I'd say so. When, when it comes to money, I'm I'm a definite. That's that's just not going to happen. Same with my health these days. So uh, I try not to. But yeah, it it was. And as I said, I got to interact. I I and the other positive with real in person interactions was a number of people that I saw on stage talking about some of their experiences that just really lifted my spirits. And, you know, for the most part, I'm a proton. I try and remain positive. And I, I, I have to say some of my recent experiences with healthcare have not, uh, have, have been a little bit uh, negative, shall we say. I'm, I'm trying to be as nice as I can, but it, it, it's a real strain. And I witnessed a number of folks who really managed to pull the thread of positivity and the potential to really make some impact in inequity, in gender bias, and in the delivery of widespread healthcare. And that was inspirational for me, a couple of the sessions that I saw, some of the folks that I managed to meet, and I'm looking forward to having on the show um, in the coming weeks. Well, that's great. And I, I, I think... Um... Everyone really wants to know, what did John Glazer have for breakfast? Uh, uh, seriously, though, I, I do think that you learn more at these in-person conferences than you possibly could because your focus is on the person that's talking, you know, 20 feet or 30 feet away from you often. And uh, as opposed to kind of sitting on the computer screen and staring at the screen, and then you're also looking at other things that are happening and answering email. And so... Um, what what was a standout for you over over these conferences that you you attended uh, in the last couple of weeks? Would you say? Well, it was certainly the application of uh, solutions, and not always technical, but you know, ideas to really solve for the uh, the folks that need care the most, but are not getting it thanks to poor access, poor equity. Um, and, you know, when it came to technology, and I, obviously I'm a geek, so I tend to be more focused on the geek thing. I, I had a few organizations that stood out. And to be clear, I may have missed some. It, it was quite overwhelming. It was a lot of square footage, a lot of people. I tried to do as much walking as I did, and certainly my step counters uh, showed that I did. So I may have missed some, but, I, you know, I'm going to call out at least a couple Um Caption Health for me was a real standout. And it was a standout because it was an add-on. It was an incremental improvement. And what they do is uh, allow people to acquire a ultrasound image um, without all of the expertise that a uh, ultrasonographer has and all of the training by using essentially what they term GPS. And that was a little bit confusing to me because I was thinking they had some chip in there and they were you know, low, but that wasn't the case. They were using the image processing to say, I can understand what you're doing wrong and I can guide you with a screen using essentially some software components. So moving you in the, essentially trying to make an expert sonographer out of your average non-expert 
Yeah, and, uh, you know, th- there's certainly going to be some ultrasonographers and folks who are going to say, oh, my goodness, that's my job going out the window. But the reality is we don't have enough access. We don't get it out into the community. Um, this is the potential to push out skill sets. And, you know, folks that know me know that I'm very passionate about other continents, particularly the African continent, because uh, I, I have some roots there. And that's something that's very underserved uh, in terms of healthcare solutions and offerings. And this is a great way to deliver it. And it can be life-changing. I've done a number of interviews with folks that are actually out there doing some of the work, but there's not enough people to do that. And this is one of the ways. And the other one that stood out to me was the other incremental improvement around the stethoscope, which, uh, you know, famously has been called dead. Um, It's interesting that there's barely a picture I see of any uh, anybody uh, that is uh, a physician without, uh, you know, some accoutrement. In fact, my own logo has that over it. So let's be clear, it's almost as good as the uh, the little logo that we have, which I can't remember the name of right now. Um, but it, it's, you know, it's old technology. It's, I, I think somebody said over 100 years old. And what they've done is added some tech into it to amplify it. Well, that's good for hearing and, you know, do some noise cancelling. That's also clever. But here was the difference. They said, let's take this and let's process it, upload it to the phone, show you a waveform. So that gives you some additional insight. They've also matched it with an EKG that you can run at the same time through a similar device. It sort of attaches to the stethoscope. But importantly, send it to the cloud and listen for murmurs. And, you know, again, you, you might hear some folks say, well, wow, but if, if we're going to do that, we don't need the physician. And that's not true. The problem is that the very narrow band of cardiologists who I, you must have had these in medical school, the cardiologists that would take you on rounds and say, right, go listen to that grade X murmur at this position. And, you know, all the medical students and even the residents would go, oh, yes, yes, I can hear that. Love That's shit. a great oh, murmur. Love. Yes. Very, very. <laughs> oh, yes. The classic. Yes. Oh, yes. And, and how many of us were lying? Let's be clear. At least I certainly remember it was a real challenge. But here they're saying we're going to expand that capability uh, into the community. And again, to underserved communities where you can put it in the hands of people that are probably not best experts at it because they don't hear them often enough, don't have you know sufficient exposure. And we're essentially expanding access and allowing for earlier diagnosis. That seemed pretty cool to me. That's great, and I, I think it's it's um it's hard to underestimate how helpful something like that could be, or overestimate. I think is what I meant to say. It's a good right. thing. It's a right. good thing. A lot of us uh, um, don't have are, are not cardiologists, and every certainly it's it's uh, um, when you are someone who specializes in just listening to heart sounds, you get very good at that. And and the rest of us uh, are not just listening to heart sounds and don't have the breadth of experience. And just a little boost can get you in the right direction to say, you know, can I handle this or do I need to refer this patient out? And those are the kinds of things that I think really can be a, a difference maker, just to point you in the right direction. You're not making a definitive diagnosis. Same with that uh, kind of pocket ultrasound uh, material to be able to just say, yeah, there is something big there that I need to uh, be worried about, or there's not. And uh, that point, if I'm if I'm uh, trying to decide what to do, that can help point me in the right direction. Right, and I, you know the the other thing about the noise cancellation and the stethoscope that I think is interesting is 
you know, and I would think about this in pediatrics from your perspective, but, you know, getting a child to stop breathing um, so that you can hear the heart, because those both those sounds are, are present in the chest is quite difficult. It's, it's for some adults, it's quite difficult, but the noise cancellation can do that. And that's what you saw in the waveform was you just saw heart sounds versus the overlay of the respiration, because you can say, let's subtract that out digitally, already improving things uh, from a diagnostic standpoint. That makes a lot of sense. I, you could, one could imagine someone getting more comfortable kind of looking at the waveforms than listening to the sounds, uh, which is a very interesting concept. Right. So for those of you just joining, I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Today, I'm talking to Craig Joseph. He's the chief medical officer at Nordic Consulting. Um, we were just talking about conferences, uh, some of the innovation, obviously the spread. And then one of the other things that I, I'm trying to think of the timing, it's hard to know, it sort of moved relatively rapidly, was uh, the change in social media. <laughs> and I'm not sure what's going to happen with uh, Twitter. Obviously, I'm going to ask the expert here, and uh, Craig will tell us. Um, and uh, what sh what we should all be doing. Um, okay, that's a lot of pressure, Dr. Nick, uh, to tell you about what's going on with Twitter. It seems to be in a death spiral uh, as we record. Um, it, it seems as if the, the new owner wants it to go away uh, by some of the actions that he's He's taken either purposefully or or, or not, but um, so I, I don't know. Obviously, no one can really know what's what's going to happen. Um, it's 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 confusing. Um, a lot of the the safeguards seem to have been removed. Um, there are questions about the ability of the infrastructure to withstand uh, attacks and and um, and big uses that are coming from you know big events like the the World Cup and other things. And so. I don't know. Uh, certainly, a lot of people are are um, considering alternatives, and and there's a lot out there, of course, um, LinkedIn and Instagram. But but Twitter really hits a sweet spot for a lot of people, and I know I learn a lot about the news, and I learn a lot about healthcare from experts that I follow, and I would certainly be sad if the if the entire uh, website goes down. Um, Mastodon, which is a word that I've only used in the past uh, to refer to the, a very large mammal seems to be the new thing, and that people are saying that, hey, you know, this is going to be this is how you hedge your bets um, by getting a mastodon account. So I'm very proud to say I have now acquired a mastodon account, and also I uh, want to be clear that I have no idea how to use it. So it's it's much more um mastodon is kind of like twitter but it's not there's no central kind of um holding company so anyone can create a mastodon server and so but they all talk to each other it's uh it's confusing so in summary i don't know what's going to happen um but i do think that there are lots of reasons to to be worried that we're going to lose this very nice resource that a lot of us use for good some use for evil to be, you know, to kind of watch what's happening and, and looking for the alternatives in the, in the near future in case Twitter either just goes away or becomes unusable because it's it's all um, um, all the good stuff or at least the things that I think are the good stuff go, you know, become a minority of the of the tweets and and um, other requirements that I, I have to look at, you know, 
ironically more bots or, or more you know, malicious type uh, material. Yeah, it, it's interesting you say that. So first of all, I, I have a Mastodon account and I'm super excited because instead of having Dr. Nick 1, D-R-N-I-C, the number one, I have Dr. Nick, D-R-N-I-C-K, which is really what I'm, that's me. Um, but I couldn't get it on Twitter because somebody had uh, pulled it very early on and used it five times and then disappeared. And the rules precluded any sort of uh, re reclamation of that. Um, and it's frustrated me, I've got to say. So in that sense, it's a good thing. Um, I, I arrived there and I looked around and thought, wow, it's pretty lonely around here and decided I'd, I'd just grab my name and that was enough um, for the time being. Um, when it comes to Twitter, I, I think I have a slightly different view of this. Um, and I, I just don't see whatever the number is, 42, 46 billion or something, seems an awful lot of money for somebody. And let's be clear, I've heard all sorts of things about Elon Musk. And, you know, he, he certainly is eccentric in some of his behavior. And, you know, I, I don't have any insight, don't know him. But I have two sort of data points that stand out to me. One is he turned... Uh, single-handedly, in my view, turned around the U.S. space program. The U.S. space program didn't exist. He was told it was impossible. He came really close to failing, but persisted and is now launching rockets that we all take as passe. They're not even watched launches. But if you, like me, still watch them and you know watch some of the capabilities, it, not only did he launch them, but he did something really extraordinary. The first time I saw this, I, I still have it. I have it as one of my backdrops for Zoom. I'm that impressed. Was the landing of the two, not just one, but two simultaneously, which the last time I saw that was on, um, you know, uh, Buck Rogers in the 25th century when, you know, it was with wires and whatever. So somebody that, and sure, he didn't do that himself, but he guided that company to do it. And to be clear, he did the same with the electric car industry, which was going nowhere, turned that around, it became cool. And sure, there's some fluff with that. But, you know, I see Teslas all over the place. I'm, I can't believe how many I'm seeing. So they're certainly coming off the production line. So I look at this with slightly more positivity. Um, and yes, there's some concern about the negative pieces. But here's what I would turn around and say about that. That's up to you and I, and not just uh, you know us, but all of the people that are involved in this. We've got to be there to counteract the negative. And I know that's very wearing. There are some people who I just have the, such enormous amounts of respect for who really fight this on a day-to-day -day basis. So I, I think I, I don't think it's going to disappear. And to be clear, did you take your Twitter um, follower list and import it and put it into Mastodon? I did not. Oh, okay. I, I, I have not. I, I'm, I'm just saying, I don't know that that's possible. I'm pretty sure it's not. At least I haven't read anything. So these people that have this huge following, this is a big deal. You know, everybody isn't going to jump across and say, right, I'm going to follow. So I don't know that there's going to be this mass exodus. And, you know, there's more good than evil in the world. I just, that, that's, I, I think that's a premise for me. So I'm, I, I'm going to go with the positive and say it's going to survive it. It will be different, but I, I still think it's going to be good. I'm hoping you're right. Okay. So um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the Cleveland Clinic and uh, the, uh, the, the 
new policy. Can you tell us what's going on there and uh, any thoughts? Sure. So Cleveland Clinic announced, uh, and they're not the first, but I think they're by far the largest. They announced that under certain circumstances, they were going to start charging for patient portal messages. So when you log on to to your, your patient portal, whatever it's called, and send a message to your doctor, you're going to get a little pop-up if it's Cleveland Clinic saying, hey, um, we might charge you and or your insurance if you have it um, up to, I think, $50, $50 to answer the question that you're about to pose. And um, don't worry, because uh, if you have insurance, it will likely cover some of it. And, and um, they couldn't really say much more because it's a very nebulous policy. What they said is, well, if it takes a clinician to respond, so if you asked about your appointment or you asked about a billing problem, no, they're not going to charge you for that. But if, they, if it takes a, a physician or a physician extender more than five minutes of time, they're going to charge you. And um, it's, it's a, and, and one doesn't know if, even if, if you know to have insurance, how that's going to get paid, if it will. And certainly at the beginning of the year, most of us have deductibles and lots of other uh, out-of-pockets that um, uh, even if it's covered, we're still going to end up paying for that. So, so it's clearly they're trying to solve a huge problem, which is that physicians are spending a lot of time responding to these messages, and uh, almost none of them are getting reimbursed for this. Um, uh, because it's kind of considered the same as answering the phone. If someone calls and says, well, um, I've got this rash and I don't know what to do with that, you would never think about charging for that. But uh, it's become uh, so voluminous, the number of, of, uh, of uh, requests that um, someone, they're trying to do something, which I completely appreciate. And I think that five minutes, four minutes, six minutes, however much time clinicians are spending should be um, taken into account and should be, you know, part of, uh, uh, they should be, you know, paid for that. Um, I think that's all, uh, that, that, that's hard for anyone, I think, to argue against. The, the question I have is, boy, how do you implement this? And then how do I know as a patient? I'm a physician. And I don't know sometimes and when I send a message uh, how much time that's going to take. And I, I think um, if I don't know and I can't predict, it's going to be very hard for people to, to um, to know how that's going to impact them. And so, you know, what's the question when the doctor says, hey, you know, if this doesn't get better, uh, I want you to call me. Well, what does that mean? Um, and again, Cleveland Clinic, I think, has rules. I saw like, well, if it's within seven days of you already talking to us for something that we build you for, or if it's four days after the hospital or six days after an office visit, it's, you know, then, then we won't charge you. It's all very complicated. And there was just a lot of, of um, conversation about this and on, on, on med twitter and other places where doctors are like well we need to do something but i'm not sure this is the thing that we need to do and, and how do you solve this problem and i don't have any great answers i would think that if i'm a patient now and you're telling me this i'm going to be like well maybe i'll just call on the phone because you're not going to charge me if you call on the phone and then if i'm a, if i'm on the, the physician side i think it's reasonable for them to say um, I, you know, I think oftentimes you can look at a problem and go, yeah, I'm not going to solve that in five minutes of talking or five minutes of typing. So let's change that either into an office visit or a video uh, conference, you know, a, a video visit. 
um, which then everyone understands is going to get billed in, in the same way. Um, so I, I, I would predict that might happen, but boy, I don't, I don't know if, is, are we just turning back the, we're going back to the, um, the stone age, AKA 2019, um, where anything you wanted almost was going to be, if, if you had to talk to a doctor, it's going to be in person. Nowadays, maybe, maybe we can, can continue those as video visits because oftentimes it's all, if we're just talking and you don't need to touch me, then we could talk and you can build the insurance company the same, but I don't know. It's very complicated and there is no, totally understand why they're doing it. I just don't understand. I'm not too excited about the, about, you know, the direction of going. Well, I, I'm just going to close by saying um, it fits in perfectly with the current billing strategy, which is how much will this cost? Don't have the faintest idea. Couldn't possibly estimate it. Um, here's, but, but um, you better pay us when we figure here's, it out. Here's no data or so much data that you can't make any sense of it. So I feel like there's going to be a data transparency for uh, my chart messages uh, regulation that will come out in 20 years' time when people have realized that this doesn't work. I, of course, am jesting a little bit. I, I'm with you. I see both sides of it, but I think that's um, – it, it's it, – it, it's, it creates a very challenging problem. We've already got enough of this. We have to find a better methodology. Unfortunately, as we do each week, we've run out of time. So just remains for me to thank you, uh, as always, for uh, coming on the show, sharing your fantastic wisdom um, and delightful insights that uh, continue to make me laugh, which is one of my other key strategies of surviving this world. So, Craig, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm glad I could be so definitive in telling you exactly uh, how to move forward. Thanks for joining me today. Do you have any better ideas or have you found a small incremental change that's brought about a big improvement in your world? Let's continue the conversation on our hashtag, The Incrementalist, or share with me at DrNick1 on Twitter. You can find more information about the show on our program page at healthcarenowradio.com. And tune in next time to hear my discussions with leaders and innovators from around the globe who've revolutionized their space by using small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist, and I'm starting a revolution through evolution. 